I want you to do this with me for a quick second uh, before you're seated. I just want you to close your eyes. Imagine your friend next to you in the seat just won the lottery, and you get to share it with them, okay? Pack up that emotion, build it up. Imagine what you'd be feeling. You get to share the news, right? And turn to them with the biggest smile and, and just like energetic way you can. Look at them in the eye and say, repent. No, 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 seriously, go ahead, do it. <laughs> How does that feel? You may be seated. <laughs> Repent. All of life is repentance. That is the phrase that started the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther, this little German monk, imagine him walking up to a doorpost in Wittenberg and nailing a piece of paper to the wall with a very dramatic effect. And the first line of it is this, all of life is repentance. That's what started the Protestant Reformation. That's what tore Europe in half. When you hear that word repent, how does it make you feel? I'll tell you, you want to have an interesting conversation with some of your friends this week when you're talking to them. Tell them to repent and ask them how it makes them feel. Right? It's like looking at somebody and saying, you're wrong. Right? It's not, is it a good feeling when somebody tells you to repent? What kind of baggage do we hold with that word? But in Scripture, repenting seems to be good news. People in Scripture, I think they seem to realize something that we've forgotten, right? And that is that if we want better lives, if we want more hope, if you want more joy, if you want more love in your life, then it starts by changing it starts by changing from what you are to where you want to be. If you want to get to a new place, you've got to change your direction, right? If you have your, something in your hands and you want to put something new in your hands, what do you have to do? Set the old thing down in order to grab hold of the new thing. If you want to live life in God's way, you have to lay down your way. And that's exactly what we see happen here in Nehemiah 9. I'm so excited to talk about this portion of scripture today, repenting, and, and I believe that once we get past the initial shock, the affront to our pride that repentance is, we'll realize a truth that repentance is good news. In a brief update, what's happened until now, they've built a wall. There was no wall around the city, no protection, so they've built this wall, but they're only halfway there because God is still building his people. He's building his people, and it's not just brick and mortar, but it's flesh and blood. And last week we read that they, for the first time in probably 70 years, broke out the word of God, and they read it, and they wept and fell to their faces in response to the word of God. And the leaders got up and said, guys, no, 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 there's no, no time for weeping right now. This is a time for celebrating. Because of God's grace. Get your eyes off of 
your brokenness for a second and get your eyes on God's grace. And so they went into this time of celebrating and feasts and remembering what God had done for them. And now we pick up two and a half weeks later. And I'm going to ask Austin to jump up and read um, Nehemiah chapter 9. This is two and a half weeks later. And you can follow along on the screen or you can jump in um, on your iPhone app. Or if you're old school and you've got a paper Bible, we welcome those very much too. So feel free to jump in and let's, let's really focus in on what it means to repent. And there's three main points right before Austin reads. Three things we're going to see as we read through this chapter. The qualities of repentance. And that is that repentance always contains recollection, recalling. And it contains recanting. And it contains recommitment. So the first point, recall. Recall. Looking back and remembering. When you hear that word recall, what movie do you think of? right? Yeah, I thought of Notebook personally, but that's the softy in me. Um, but yeah, Total Recall, right? Give the people, yeah! That's a horrible Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm never going to do another Arnold impersonation. Yeah, but, but Total Recall, the whole premise of the movie is that he's had his mind wiped clean, and they download this other life in his brain, but then he has this total recall of his true life. But it holds you in this tension because, especially in the book, which is really uh, a, a lot better than the movie, um, it, it holds you in this tension because you're not sure which reality is actually reality. He's trying to remember. He's trying to recall his life. And you're not sure, is he crazy and just killing random innocent people? Or is there any truth behind this version of reality that he's living in. And I think the point is we get confused. We have really bad memories. Ask any police detective, right, who has witnesses, and they have five witnesses to the same crime. Ask them how well that pans out oftentimes, right? We have horrible memories. We're not elephants, at least in that way. And when we... <laughs> When we fail to remember, we live out of a skewed view of reality. I mean, look at what happens in verses 11 through 16. God saves his people from Pharaoh, the mightiest world power at the time, by leading them through the Red Sea on dry ground and then crushing their enemies behind them. And then he saves them from the wilderness because they don't have any food or water. So he makes it rain, food from the sky, and brings water from a rock that follows them. And then he saves them from themselves, right? It's, it's what it said. He gave them good laws, reasonable things to govern them because of the chaos that could have ensued, right? As you have a mob of people wandering aimlessly through the wilderness. He gives them something to govern them. But look at what verse 17 says. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. Our minds always seem to be full, especially if you have a smartphone with an Instagram account and a Facebook account 
constantly distracted. There's always something in our minds. But as, as full as our minds are, we fail miserably at being mindful of God, don't we? We are so forgetful. And Nehemiah 9 stresses the importance of remembering, like that song we sang, I'm so forgetful, but you always remind me. And Nehemiah 9 stresses this point. It's, um, it reminds me of Joshua 4. After God has led his people out of Egypt, led them through the Red Sea, brought food from heaven. You, you guys know the story. It's crazy how God provides. And then he says, and I'm going to take you into the land, and you're going to possess it. I'm going to give it to you. And they say, whoa, that's way too hard for God. He can't do that. There's giants in the land, right? They're scared to death because there's giants. And they say, we are as grasshoppers in our own sight. And so they refuse to do what God says. And so later on in Joshua 4, after Moses has passed off the scene, after 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness, and a whole generation that refused to trust God, refuse to remember his works after they've all died off. Their children get to go into the land. And they're going to cross another river, the River Jordan. And this time, God says something in Joshua 4. He says, Joshua, take 12 men from the 12 tribes, and when you guys go through the river, have each one pick up a stone and take it out of the river and set it up where you guys camp as a memorial so that when your kids ask what happened, what is this stone thing for? you'll remind them that I am your God who mightily brought you out of the land of Egypt and I'm taking you into this new land because you're forgetful. You're going to forget. It's not like you forget the facts of what happened, but like Andy said a few weeks ago when he talked about gospel amnesia, we forget the implications of what happened. We don't live in light of the fact that our God can do anything. Anything is possible with him. We don't live in light of the fact of the story of God and what he's brought us from and where he's bringing us to because we're so forgetful. Remembering God doesn't just magically happen. It's an act of volition. That's why God has them stack rocks. That's why God has them remember the feasts and celebrate. He says, remember me. Remember my grace. Remember my provision. Remember my love. And we, we do something here. We do the story of God over and over. And one thing I heard last time we went to go through the story of God, somebody was like, but we've been through it already. You guys ever felt that way? Or if somebody goes to preach on a passage, you're like, ah, oh, we already, I heard a sermon on that one time. I've already been through that. What is that in our hearts that creeps up that's like, eh, I'm good. Been there, done that. There's, there's this thing that can happen with kids. It's amazing. The other night, Gavin was asleep, more getting ready to sleep, lying in bed, and, Daddy, Daddy, I want Daddy, bedtime story. So I go in there, turn off the lights. I'm like, no, we're not reading. I'm going to tell you a story. So I make up this incredible story. I'll admit, like, it was way better than I meant for it to be. And, and, and he, even he was amazed because what he said next was, Dad, Dad, tell it again. I was like, I don't even remember it. <laughs> just, but that childhood sense of wonder and awe, that's like, I want to hear this story again. It doesn't get old. I need to remember. Remember me is what Jesus says. 
In fact, God, before he gives the children of Israel the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 6, there's the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Repeat it, repeat it, lest we forget. In the story of God, we see this repetition of who God is. We see other patterns, too, like the pattern of our sinfulness. How many of you guys, when we read through that lengthy scripture, did you see some patterns in there? Yeah, yeah. We've done this over and over again, and here we are again. Close your eyes for a second with me. I want you to remember. What is your story? How did God save you? What did he deliver you from? Do you, do you remember? Now, pull back a little further for a second. I want to ask you, what do you feel when you recall your story? Feel pride? Shame? Embarrassment? Anger? Apathy? Joy? What? What happens in your soul as you recall how God has worked in your life? C.J. Mahaney talks about this in his book, Cross-Centered Life, and it's a lengthy reading, but I wanted to share it because it just wrecked me when I read it. He says this, I have it on the screen here for you as well. I've lived in the same part of Maryland since I was a boy. Hardly a month goes by that I'm not reminded of who I once was before God saved me from his righteous wrath in 1972. I was a blasphemer. I lived for myself and my own pleasures. I lived in rebellion against God and mocked those who followed him. I spent my high school and college years deeply immersed in the drug culture. Sometimes late at night, my friends and I would seek out quiet, isolated places where we would come down safely from drug highs. On more than a few occasions, it was a D.C. monument. Other times, it was, peaceful street, it was a peaceful street under thick, deep trees. Or even the terminal at what was then a little-used airport called Dole's, where the door stayed open all night after the day's flights had ceased and we could move through the nearly deserted canyon of a building. Someday soon... I'll be near one of those places again, and the memories will flood back. I'll remember what I once was and be reminded of all I've received and experienced since then. Often my eyes will fill with tears at the memories of my foolishness and my sin. And in the same instant, my heart will be filled with an unspeakable holy joy. By the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, I've been forgiven of the countless sins I've committed. Blessed is the man, David wrote, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And this truth echoes through my soul, resonating in places far deeper than any drug can go. Many people today try to run from the past I suppose I too could try that by leaving my hometown that holds so many reminders of my sinfulness, but I consider living here a gift from God. 
The regular reminders of my past are precious to me. Why? Because I never want to forget the great mercy shown me. Recall. Develop a rhythm of regularly looking back and remembering your story in light of his story, remembering his love and provision and grace. Number two, recant. Recant. Name your wrongs in light of his grace. True repentance has to be surrounded by grace. We went and watched Big Hero 6 yesterday. I don't want to spoil it for you. It was a good movie. Um, There's this point early on in the movie where the kid is jumping out of a window. Bad news bears, right? That's not going to work out well, but Big Hero 6, the big robot, marshmallow, puffy, inflated guy, wraps around him as he falls, and he lands safely, cushioned by, by I don't know the name, Takeshi or something. I need to watch it again. Right? But it's, it's like that. Repentance is like that. It's like taking this dive, and here's the deal. It's bad news bear when you dive into the pit of your sin, when you see the brokenness there. It can crush you. You have to be enveloped in God's grace. You have to be, you have, your repentance has to be cushioned and surrounded by God's grace. And that's exactly what we see here, right? The only thing that will allow you to truly face your sin without being crushed under guilt and shame is his grace. Anything else won't enable true lasting change. Anything else is us trying to whip ourselves into shape. It's asceticism. It's beating ourselves up. But when we see our sin in light of his grace, it's freeing. It's good news, right? And so two and a half weeks after they've come to this point, in verse 1 we see it's been two and a half weeks, and they've already, what have they done during this whole time? They've celebrated God's grace. No, 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 guys, don't cry yet. A time for that is going to come. First, let's focus on God's grace. We do something, um, like, when we pray. How many of you guys, like, when you pray, it's really hard for you to start praying or talking to God or worshiping Him or asking Him for anything if you don't repent of everything first? Yeah. Like, it's funny, like, we'll do ACTS through the CBR journals through the week or, or at our gospel community, and we'll pray adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And you wouldn't believe how many times I've had the conversation with people. Shouldn't it be C-A-T-S? Yeah. Meow. Yeah. Shouldn't it be cats? Like, shouldn't we start with confession? But here's the deal, guys. Confession needs to be cushioned in the grace of God. There's nothing so healing as confessing your sins in light of a holy God that has mercy on you, that loves you, that is for you. Because of God's grace, we get the opportunity to name our wrongs and recant. We don't have to hide in fear and shame like Adam and Eve, sewing our fig leaves together and covering ourselves with our good works, right? We don't, you don't got to lie to kick it. You get to be real with God because of his grace. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that amazing? He delights in us. His grace is amazing. One way that we've talked about it here and and some of the groups talk about is that when you first come into contact with God, you realize there's a difference between his holiness and my sinfulness. Yeah? There's actually a cool picture of it. We'll get up here. But 
our journey toward the cross is a journey into a deeper understanding of that. As we walk toward Jesus more and more, we realize, we see Christ in Scripture, and we worship Him, we realize how holy He is. Man, I thought He was holy last week. This week, I'm blown away by His holiness. And then we repent, and we see, man, I'm really trying to change and become a better person, but the more I try, the more I fail, and you start, it's like, Ogres have onion, or ogres are like onions, right? You just keep peeling back the layers, and deeper and deeper inside your heart is brokenness and more sinfulness. It's like, man, that's really bad news. It's really bad news that God is that holy and that I am that broken. But every time you do that, the cross just gets bigger because the cross is the thing that bridges God's holiness with your sinfulness, and gives you grace. Grace becomes more and more amazing the more you see a holy God and you see your sin in light of Him. And only those who are truly aware of their sin can truly cherish grace. Not only can we face our sins and regrets and addictions and broken cycles, but God calls us, you know, He does call us to face our sin. He calls us to name it to own our part, to take responsibility. But if we stop there, what happens? What happens if we stop there at just looking at our sin and naming it and focusing on how broken it is? I'm asking you guys. Depression. Depression. Yeah. What else? Desperation. Yeah. What's that? Hopelessness. They said homelessness, which also. What else? Selfishness. Who's it centered on? Me. But because of the gospel, the third point, we can recommit, we can turn from our sin to our Savior. Guys, don't dwell on your sin, but refocus, worship your Savior. Repentance is this movement, right? It's this, it's this one motion where I'm turning from something and I'm turning towards something, right? Repentance is I'm turning from the thing I was hoping in, believing in, the thing that was defining my life. I'm turning from that and I'm focusing on Jesus. But if repentance stops at saying, wow, that thing has really failed me, I suck, and we never get to Jesus, it's not repentance. It's not good news, right? All of life is repentance. That means that all of life is turning from something else to Jesus, worshiping him, remembering him, making him the center of your focus, putting your hope, your trust, your faith, your joy, placing everything in him as Savior. I think we tend to, one of the things they said at a World Harvest Mission uh, thing we went to was awesome. They said, we tend to think of Repentance is like a fire alarm. Dude, I screwed up really bad. There's a fire. Everybody out of the building. Ding, 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 ding. I got to repent. I got to really make this a big deal. I need to grovel at least three days. Probably fast and pray because I lied to my boss, right? But here's, here's the deal. The more we see ourselves in line of a holy God, the more we realize we're sinning all the time. We're trusting in other things besides God all the time. And, and one of the things they said, I love this. They said, some of you guys during this conference, you, 
you know, we see you looking down on your lap. It, it's not just probably that the Holy Spirit's convicting you. Some of you have your cell phones out. Repentance is a lot more like your cell phone than it is the fire alarm. Repentance is a lot more like that thing you turn to all the time. And you say, oh man, I did it again, Lord. I screwed up again. And you get this moment to refocus on him. It's not the fire alarm. It's more like the cell phone. It's, it's trading death for life. It's good news, guys. It's exhaling carbon dioxide and inhaling the pure oxygen of grace. Each moment of repentance and belief that can happen more and more throughout your day is like a step toward Jesus. It's a step in growth in your discipleship. It is literally how you grow in the faith. Because our hearts are latched on to all kinds of other things as our Savior, we have our hope all over the place. And the Holy Spirit gently reveals one at a time. Otherwise, we'd be crushed under it. Reveals, oh man, you're trusting in this thing. And we get to pull our, our hope off of that and put it on Jesus and repent. William Law writes it this way. This theologian, he says, We may justly condemn ourselves as the greatest of sinners. We know because we know more of the folly of our own heart than we do of other people's. So admit that you're the worst sinner you know. Admit you're unworthy and deserve to be contemned. But don't stop there. Move on to rejoicing in the Savior who came to save the worst of sinners. Lay down the luggage of condemnation and kneel down in worship at the feet of him who bore your sins. Cry tears of amazement. This week, um, my wife, she noticed something was a little off with me. I didn't even notice. She noticed because she knows me better than I know myself, I think, in some way. And um, she's like, are you okay? It's like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Doing great. Like, I don't think you are. You're, like, getting really snappy. You're giving me those eyes. I said, yeah, I'm totally, uh, I, I don't know. Something's off in my heart. So she just, like, prayed with me and talked me through it. And I realized that I felt really, really distant from God. Has anybody been there? Really distant. And um, so she said, well, do you want to you talk to God about it? I was like, not really, not right now. I don't. <laughs> Just wasn't in the mood at the time. The next day I, I woke up and I, I was praying. I was trying to pray about it, trying to work through it, but I just felt really disconnected. And um, I just felt, I don't know, unloved, felt unworthy, felt not, not good, not clean. Um, I think it's the mustache, maybe. And so the next day as I'm uh, kind of getting around, making coffee, doing stuff in, in the morning, Gavin wakes up. He wants to help me make coffee. And I'm reading this book called The Father Heart of God, which if you can find it, read it. It's really short, really good, straight to the heart. And I'm, I'm realizing, like, I want my kids to see the Father's heart for them through me. I want to love them like, like the Father would, so... Trying to like, yeah, sure, help me make my coffee. Uh, don't worry about the spill, you know, whatever. I'm just loving him as best I can. And my mom came, picked him up to take the kids and babysit him. And as the door shuts, I hear him say, I love you, Daddy. Bye-bye, Daddy. And I broke. I don't know what it was about that moment, but God used it. I literally, I, I don't know that I've ever cried that hard. It was the ugly cry, like the best cry ever. It was 
so gnarly. And I went and I literally laid in my bed in a fetal position and just cried and, and said, and it felt weird to say it because I'm old. I was like, I love you, Daddy. Do you really feel toward me like I feel toward that little guy when he said, I love you, Daddy? Do you really feel that way toward me? Because I, I look in the mirror. I, feel, I don't feel like King David that's like playing his harp and just like everything's <laughs> ooey gooey. I, I feel like this like old, broken, beat up, gnarly David with blood on his hands, the warrior who's done all kinds of things. I look back at my story, where God has brought me from, and I feel broken. I'm not good enough. Yet, he loves me. Mm. My daddy God. The thing I love about this prayer is the constant refocus on God. He's the center. Yeah, there's plenty of admitting wrong. There's plenty of pointing out this pattern of sin. But just as much as there's a pattern of sin, there's a pattern of mercy and love, and the Father sweeping them up in his arms and saying, I love you. Because as much sin as you have, God has more love and mercy and grace because of the cross. And at the cross, we see a man, the God-man, broken and tattered, becoming the ultimate payment for our sins. The holiness of God, the sinfulness of man combined there at the cross as God's righteous wrath against sin is poured out on one man so that his mercy could be freely poured out on your life. So that his love wouldn't just be a cool theological point on a board somewhere, but that it would melt your heart of stone. God says, I love you. Nehemiah says, God is rich in mercy, slow to anger, abounding in love. And nowhere is that more visible than in the cross of Jesus Christ. If the gospel is true, guys, get this as we close. Nothing stands in your way today. You can have reconciliation with dad right now. Healing for your past, hope for your future, victory for the broken cycles of your life Faith that if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you. Will you trust that Jesus' sacrifice was enough for you? Will you close your eyes with me and stand? Will you accept His love? Will you repent again today? I want to ask you, will you come around this communion table today after we pray and take some time to remember? Confess your sin and turn from it once again and turn your eyes upon Jesus. I want to pray for us before I just lose it up here and turn into a ball of emotion. God, thank you for calling us to remember. You called your people to remember you around food. Jesus called us to remember him around this common meal, this, this communion, the bread and the wine. Thank you that by your grace we can take an honest look at our sin. We don't have to pull away. We don't have to hide. We don't have to wear a mask. We get to face our brokenness because of your grace. 
thank you because we can turn our back on it now and we're captivated by a better vision, a loving daddy and his love for us. Thank you because Holy Spirit, you make known your truth to our hearts. You empower us to continue this pattern of turning from sin and turning toward you. We need you, Holy Spirit. Do a work we cannot do on our own today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on down and take communion in small groups today. That way you have time to really dig in and, and confess and repent and turn to Jesus in faith. Oh.